I want to make this clear. It's not a small thing to leave a faith tradition. It is a huge decision because I owe so much, we both do, Mm -hmm. to the Church of the Nazarene. Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm your guest host, Britt Bowlerjack, and for the next few months, we're going to be interviewing millennial pastors who have transitioned out of the Church of the Nazarene. It is my hope and prayer that these stories will be um, the catalyst for beautiful conversations to come about who we are and where we're going and how we can better embody who God is calling us to be. You're not alone. You know, there are so, so, so many of us who are asking questions and trying to figure out what a wholehearted life uh, means. One of my first things is like, if you can stay, you should stay. But I would say if you're going to stay, you have to do the work. That's really all that matters at at the end of the day, because it's all about faithful ministry. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, on today's episode, we get the chance to actually interview this past season's guest host, Britt Bullerjack. If you don't know who I am, my name is Josiah. I am the creator and producer of this podcast, and it is my privilege today to interview Britt. And I'm going to get right to it, Britt. I just want to know the motivation. <laughs> Why? Why this topic? Why these stories? What made you so intrigued enough to do the work mm. of asking such tough questions? Um, first of all, thank you for letting me have this opportunity. I, you know, honestly, I think there's so many reasons. Um, I think the current like rhetoric around whether or not millennials are leaving in mass, um, is just not helpful. I think we needed to hear as a community, as a faith community, we needed to hear some of these individual stories. Um, and there's so much more room for stories to be told. I think I've, I feel like I've told just a few of, of the many that could have, could have been told. Um, and, you know, previously I worked on a podcast called this Nazarene life and we did over 70 interviews there of, um, young Nazarene clergy and their role models. And, um, that was a labor of love. And it was, it was a project about people that had chosen to stay in the, in the denomination, in the church of the Nazarene. And so I feel like in some ways, this is like the full circle of that original project um, to interview just a handful of people who have chosen not to stay in the church of the Nazarene or have felt like they cannot stay in the the church of the Nazarene. Um, I think one of the reasons is that I'm in a really safe space. And I don't say that because everyone in my church is on the same page on every issue or feels or believes the same things that I do, but I'm in a safe space because dialogue and conversation are allowed here. Um, I would argue maybe even welcome here. Um, And so I personally am not experiencing the kind of squeeze that a lot of these ministers were feeling in their context. Um, But lastly, and I think possibly most important, I felt the need to platform these stories 
so that other people would know they're not alone. Um, a couple of years ago, I went to coffee with a ministry major at SNU and they told me that they were pretty sure they would not end up being a, a pastor and that they could not be a pastor. Um, and I was heartbroken and I was like, why, you know, why do you feel like you can't be a pastor? And they said, well, because I don't agree with the church of the Nazarene on, you know, this issue. I honestly, at this point, um, don't even know what this issue was. It was probably LGBT inclusion. Um, but I told that student, you know, that doesn't mean you can't be a pastor. There are plenty of denominations out there um, who believe differently on this issue or many issues than than we do. Um, and and we're, you know, open to that. We believe that God is not only at work in the Church of Nazarene. You know, God is at work in many other places. And so in some ways, I felt like we had done this particular student a disservice by not allowing them a fuller picture of the conversations being had in other denominations to be able to say, just because you disagree with us on this, or just because you disagree with us on that, and we don't have room for that kind of dialogue right now, doesn't mean there are no denominations in which you might serve the kingdom and um, be a part of the story of Jesus in that way as a minister. Um, so I think for me, it's, it's been on my heart for a long time to provide a space for these kinds of stories so that people who are wrestling with um, a call to do ministry that might lead them outside of the denomination to know that they're not alone and that that's not necessarily a big, huge, terrible thing. I mean, there are things there to grieve, I'm sure, as, as you have noticed, many of these stories include a lot of grieving, a strong sense of loss, but it doesn't mean that there aren't other places and spaces that would welcome your skills and gifts as a pastor. Um, and so I wanted people to know, you know, like that it's okay. If, if your calling to ministry leads you to part ways with your, you know, uh, um, current denomination that's okay like i wanted people to know that you know they're not going to hell for leaving the the church of the nazarene we're not a we're not a cult we don't believe that um we believe that there is plenty of space out there and if you need that space if you have a craving for that kind of space then I want you to feel seen and heard and know um, that there are beautiful callings. You know, I think Trevor Robinson said it best when he said, you know, there's ministry outside of ministry and there's ministry outside of the church of the Nazarene. And for him, he wanted people to know, you know, I think that um, those kinds of callings are not <laughs> bad or wrong or inferior. They're just different and they should be blessed and we should be able to, um, treat people with callings outside of traditional pastoral ministry in the church of Nazarene with the dignity and respect they deserve. One of the threads, one of the themes that surprised me in these interviews that I was not expecting as I've spent some time in the space as well was how many multi-generational Nazarenes we have. That was something that surprised mm -hmm. me because that call 
was almost doubly emphasized by the fact that it's not just a church family. It's a biological family tie that you might be walking away from mm. in some, some cases, but I'm curious yeah. with, with the planning that you put into this, what things came up that you were expecting, but what things actually surprised you as well? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think, um, first of all, I was, I was really surprised in a lot of ways how individual these stories were like as, as much as there were some through lines and threads woven throughout, there were also like some just really individual circumstances for each of these clergy members that just made ministry, um, difficult or impossible for them to do, um, in a certain way or in their specific context. Um, but some things that came up that I was expecting, um, partisanship, polarization, just the way that dialogue in the U S is really, uh, an, an endangered species, um, culturally non-existent. Yeah. Um, I, I was expecting to, to hear that. And, and we did, I, I really do think we did. Um, I was expecting to hear about the LGBTQ community, but, and, you know, and maybe this is going to come up in the next question. Um, not as often as I thought, I really thought that would be most pastors primary reason for leaving. And at the end of the day, I just don't think it was, um, for even when it came up in some of these interviews, it was a back burner issue. Um, really only a third maybe um, of the 14 felt like it was at the forefront of primary importance um, kind of space. And maybe it goes along with the like partisanship and polarization. Um, You know, Marissa Copeland says that if, if it feels like there's only two sides if it feels like there's only two sides to choose when it comes to lgbtq inclusion then i guess i'm gonna be affirming i guess and it was just like okay yeah i i feel and understand where she's coming from in that but honestly it was not it was not everyone's you know um top of mind issue which which did surprise me Um, and then, you know, two other things that I was expecting to hear and did hear were, um, just kind of the 2016 season, um, and, and rhetoric there. And then kind of 2020 George Floyd pandemic, you know, all of that, um, coming into play with, especially the later episodes, obviously. Um, and I felt like all of that was in there, um, which I was like kind of expecting to to hear. So what was most surprising? What were the unexpected threads that came up in these stories? I mean, I shared mine. I was surprised at how many people had multi-generational Nazarene connections, but what surprised mm. you? Yeah. Um some of the stuff that really surprised me that came up several times was um like a lack of safe spaces to have conversations and this probably goes back to polarization in some ways but 
um, the word dialogue came up a lot. Um, I can think of four or five interviews off the top of my head that used the the word dialogue um, just as something that there was no room for or very little room for or a felt lack of room for, let's say. Um, just the sensation that divergent opinions or um, conversations or or even maybe open-mindedness was not okay. And um, I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, another thing that I that came up a couple of times, but I think maybe was kind of also there in the background quite a bit, was uh, that we as the denomination, the Church of the Nazarene, um, are not sure what to do with neurodivergence. Um, I thought it was really interesting especially hearing um, from Tyler Brinkman, Brinkman and Melissa Koblenz, um, and a few other conversations that I've had on the side, just that we're not sure what to do with people who are not, you know, neurotypical. Um, and, and we could maybe even say Midwestern, right? Because you kind of hear um, several different people um, three that I can think of specifically in interviews off the top of my head, who just kind of said, you know, I did not fit in, in Kansas city, or that's just not how we did things where I'm from. Um, and this sense that like our denomination as a plains based denomination, um, just isn't quite sure how to navigate um, some issues, uh, that are viewed differently outside of that particular context, I would say, uh, my particular context. Um, and that was interesting because honestly, I'm not from, I'm not from the East coast. I'm not from the West coast. Like that really hadn't occurred to me. Um, and I thought that was super interesting to kind of have floating around, Another thing that came up a lot, which surprised me was how many people talked about honesty, specifically how many people talked about the word integrity just felt like um, their sense of trueness to self was at risk if they stayed in the Church of the Nazarene, which I thought was really, really interesting. Um, and we need as a denomination maybe to do a little more wrestling with that what are we doing? How are we creating spaces um, that hinder people's sense of integrity um, in, in public and church spaces? Um, which kind of leads me to the last thing that I feel like I was not expecting. And maybe I should have been expecting it, but it wasn't. Um, how many of these stories um, involved a uh, district administration as a character in the narrative, if that makes sense. Um, most of these pastors encountered their district leadership at some point. Um, and most of those encounters were difficult. And 
don't get me wrong. Like I am not here to say I've got it right. And other person X, Y, Z has it wrong. Like I really do want to say being on district leadership must be an incredibly difficult job. I think there's a reason that, you know, there's some turnover there because it's incredibly heavy stuff to, you know, wade through um, the, the stories and the empathy and the finances and the legal situations. I mean, being a DS, being on district leadership must be unbelievably difficult. So I want to have as much grace as possible while also saying there seems to be some room for improvement in the way that we interact with young people who feel like there's no longer room for them, if that makes sense. And we'll probably get into that as this interview goes on. Um, but yeah, I, that's, the, the, uh, that's off the top of my head, all the things that I can think of that I, that came up that I was not expecting. There are so many threads to grab at with those answers and responses. <laughs> you always ask in all of your interviews what they hoped that they could teach us. They were once Nazarene. Mm. You and I are still Nazarene. So I guess I would mm-hmm. put that to you as well. Mm-hmm. What's the thing that we can learn? What can we learn and take from this series of stories that we have been so gracious to be uh, recipients of? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'll probably give you more than one, but um, number one, I would say we've got to learn to make space for dialogue for conversation um clearly there were conversations that these pastors needed to have with other pastors with district leadership with themselves with their family with each other and there just wasn't much safe space for that um so we've got to find you know i mean okay so maybe i can be less vague and say We've got to be able to have conversations about, for, with the LGBT community and welcome those conversations in our denomination. But I will say, if that's too much to ask, my plan B to that would be maybe we could craft a series of like best practices for our ordained clergy who feel the need to, to leave the denomination. Um, we just ought to like our, our polity or our training for districts or something ought, ought to, you know, hold up some kind of best practices that would allow ministers to have the space and time that they need <clears throat> to transition with, with dignity. One of the things that I noticed in these interviews was um, for people who quit ministry altogether, 
it seemed like there was a little bit of time, you know, take a month, two months, four months, take a deep breath, turn in your credentials. Um, but for clergy who, whose transition point was to another space of ministry, it seemed like that same grace wasn't there. Um, and maybe that's not fair because I feel like stories like Lene Ross, um, she did transition out of ministry altogether and still felt like that process of, of returning her credentials went too quickly for her sense of loss and grieving. So maybe we just need some kind of empathy training. And I say that with like as much grace as I possibly can, because these are people with full lives and full jobs. And I understand that there's not much room for anything else, but to, to grasp, let me say it this way. I went into this, not understanding, not fully comprehending how difficult, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking it would be for these ministers, the ordained ministers in this group to hand in that piece of paper. I, it hadn't occurred to me that that would be something that difficult to to do especially if they had to do it under duress but even if they didn't um it seemed like the the ordained ministers in this group which i think i'd have to look for sure but i think it was 10 um maybe nine but i think it was 10 of these interviews were of ordained clergy it seemed to me that all but maybe one or two. So the vast majority um, felt something deep and difficult about turning in that piece of paper. You know, you heard at least three of them say, I had to mail it in because I couldn't bring myself to face denominational leadership to hand it in in person. And so maybe just some kind of training, you know, I had no idea. Maybe if, if, you know, administrators could listen to some of these stories and go, oh, we need to find the most gracious ways to make this process dignifying, to recognize people's grief and heartbreak and deep, deep sense of loss um, over these credentials, you know, things that people have given their lives to, um, and are suddenly having to to turn back in. Um, and I want to say all of that with one particular caveat. Um, I called a few denominational administrators this week in preparation for this conversation. And one of the things that I learned that I did not know is that credentials, the piece of paper, the ordination certificate itself, is actually sort of legally binding document that the denomination has to receive back in order to um, clear up issues of uh, liability for people who are out in the world, but no longer under the purview of the Church of the Nazarene. Um, So there is an extra layer there um, that like, oh no, actually for legal liability reasons, we do need that piece of paper. And if you're ministering in another denomination, 
there is sort of a sense of urgency there and and that's fine but we've got to find a way to do it better we've got to find a way to help people leave with dignity and grace and to feel less forced out and less kicked out and more blessed and sent to do ministry somewhere else the grief that was palpable in these stories just reminded me all, all the work that I've gone through and I'm sure you know you can you can attest to this it's a lot of effort to get ordained there's a lot of work and education and time spent and it might for many of these pastors especially if they are millennials it might be most of their life has been looking forward to this being a minister having this ordination thing so it costs a lot to have that taken away but I'm curious for you personally sharing that grief with all of these interviewees what has it cost you to curate these stories to curate these stories yeah um so i recorded most of these interviews between um november of 2021 and february of 2022 and i should say several others that i did not end up including in this season and several more people that I thought I would end up interviewing and just didn't have time. So let's say a couple of dozen stories in those four months. And I really felt it like a cloud. I really am a very empathetic person and I feel like I feel like for four months, I just felt a deep, deep sense of calling. Like I have to do this for my own integrity of call, but a also deep, deep sense of sadness because, because of, you know, because of the stories, because of the sense of loss and grief and sadness, you know, you asked me when I did this season to interview specifically people I knew, or at the very least friends of people I knew. And so I had some kind of previous personal connection to almost all of these people and just the beautiful humans that they are it was just so hard. It was so hard. I really felt like I cared deeply for each one and the, the heaviness stayed with me until honestly, I went on sabbatical. I, I recorded the last one three nights before I went on sabbatical. Um, and I think it took me the whole sabbatical to like unload that burden um, but for better or worse, the first episode aired on the internet the week after I got back from my sabbatical. Um, and you and I talked about this. We did that on purpose. I was very intentional about not wanting this conversation to hinder my sense of uh, space to think and, and dream and feel over sabbatical. And, it, and we did that. I think we really accomplished that. 
Absolutely. But then when I came, yeah, yeah. Um, but then when I came back and started coming out, um, I have felt, this is going to sound really ironic. I have felt really alone and isolated, if I'm honest. I'm just kind of processing in this moment with you, so I hope this is not too raw. I, I am grateful but, for your vulnerability. <laughs> thank you. Um, I just feel like <sighs> I am taking this huge risk to do something I feel deeply called to. Um, and it seems like a lot of people who were rooting for me beforehand are, are afraid of this project or afraid of me or afraid of the pushback I might receive or perhaps my local congregation might receive or my church's leadership might receive. And I do not take that lightly. Like I, I am very aware <clears throat> that this project perhaps has put a target on my back or a target on the back of my local church. And I mourn for that. I grieve for that because this church is an incredible body of people trying desperately to see God's kingdom come in Oklahoma city. And I would never want to do anything that would slow down or hinder the progress of that mission, but I couldn't not do it. I couldn't not do it. And as it started coming out, I think I felt <laughs> like I, in a, in a way, even though you gave me permission, I just have felt really lonely. Like I'm doing this by myself and I have a like text group of um, Nazarene pastor friends and they have been such a gift for me in this season because I do um, I do feel that that sense of uh, uh, called outness of isolation of um, I don't know I don't know maybe you end up editing all of this out but I think no. that's what <laughs> I think it's something I didn't expect you know like um, I've had the benefit of so many um, cheerleaders on social media until now and I've been really grateful for that but then it seems like in this particular season everybody's kind of holding their breath to see if I receive the kind of pushback they think I might and and it feels like there are very few left standing beside me and I know that's not true. And I, I've re I've re-listened to um, Marissa Copeland's interview so long, so many times, and she says, you know, God's promised so many people in Scripture that they're not alone, and that there are people in this city for them, that there are people on this mission with them. 
and she's held on to that and I hold on to that but for the last you know 14 15 weeks it's just been hard to see at times it really feels like something I'm doing by myself sorry I didn't mean for that to it's fine there's something (laughs) challenging about being prophetic uh I always joke about it being that we don't talk about Bruno because I have four children and I just relate things to animated movies probably far too often. But there is something that becomes, and it's more than just a feeling, I would say, but uniquely challenging about just speaking uncomfortable truths. So I I would commend you for this work. I was grateful that you were willing to do it. And I think the important thing was that stories were shared that were needed that we needed to hear them. I mean, we had some production conversations about how we weren't trying to point fingers, how we didn't want to make this a, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, a critical, we were, we're going to create beef with our denomination thing, but that these are, these are people's lives and their stories are worth listening and sharing. Yeah. And, and you accomplished that. I hope, I hope so. I, you're right. We we spent a lot of time and effort trying to, you know, mute the names of churches, the names of people. I mean, there were several episodes where I would contact you the next day and be like, I missed one and give you a timestamp. And I would give you a timestamp and be like, you, you have to edit it out, Josiah. And I think um, I got most because, of them. yeah, yeah, I, I just, I felt so deeply like you know, this is a podcast and we're trying to help people feel seen and heard. But at the same time, there is no bone in my body that wants to put anyone on blast. We are trying as much as we can possibly do to have grace. And honestly, there were a few moments here and there that I edited out. I'll just be honest and say, you know, the very occasional moment when someone I'm interviewing says something that doesn't feel like grace to the other forces at work in the story. I did trim here and there because I want so badly for these stories um, to help us learn and grow as a faith community. I'm still part of this faith community. I'm not going anywhere. And I want so much for us to feel um, positively about these stories as they progress us forward and not like anybody's being specifically, you know, called out cancel culture or something. Yeah. As much as I can't fully be objective, obviously this is a collaborative effort, right? Like we did some of this together as objectively (laughs) as I can be. I, I think the focus was just on story and that was it. That's it's been true with the the whole existence of this podcast. What is it like to be a millennial in ministry? That's the story that was told. Good, bad, the ugly. Mm. We hopefully can take and reflect and maybe do some self-evaluation, both institutionally but individually, and learn from these stories. That's the hope. That's the goal. So in closing, I have some some uh, just two or three more questions for you. What have been some of the responses? Have, have there been good or bad responses to these stories? Have you, you know, you said you felt a little bit of isolation, but I've been quietly watching and people have been responding. They've been reacting. Mm. So I'm, I'm curious what you have heard. 
Yeah. Um, I've received maybe 20 or 25 individual notes over the last few months. Um, and it's all been a posture of gratitude. People who feel seen, heard, they feel like um, threads of this week's story intersected with their own life. And, um, you know, I think one of the major like criticisms of my previous podcast that I received often was that I was only telling the good, the quote unquote good stories about people who wanted to stay in the church of the Nazarene. And I, I ended those episodes asking people what inspired you to stay in the church of the Nazarene. And, and I often had people say, well, you're assuming that people are inspired to stay in the church of the Nazarene. Um, and I was like, yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this, these interviews, the feedback was like very much a posture of thank you for, for doing this. Um, I, I needed to, to hear that for, for whatever reason, but on the flip side, I've also heard many people, um, who have said something to the effect of, Oh yeah, I heard you're doing a podcast about people who are transitioning out of ministry in the church of the Nazarene, but I just couldn't bring myself to listen. And honestly, that's totally fine. I have a very strong sense that the people who need to find this podcast and hear these stories will. And the people who can't bring themselves to listen for one reason or another probably shouldn't. And that's okay. Um, I haven't spent hours and hours uh, advertising this podcast um, like maybe I could have because I was convinced that this podcast would end up reaching a perhaps small group of people who just really needed to hear it. Um, and I, that it continues to be my hope and my prayer that, um, you know, that the people who don't want it won't participate in the people who so badly need this cold drink of water will find it in sort of a similar way that you ended your interviews i'm curious what do you hope comes from this what might we learn collectively as an institution as the nazarene denomination but also as individual pastors from these stories that you shared with us yeah that's a great question Um, real quick, while it's on my mind, I want to just say about the sense of loneliness and isolation. Um, my, my pastor, Don and my husband have done a really incredible job of encouraging me this whole time. So I don't want to say I have no support on, on the ground. That's not what I meant. Um, but then when you're asking me about hope, so hope, what do I hope comes out of this? Um, Honestly, I feel a strong sense to, and I want to say continue the work of this podcast. And I think by that, I mean, um, do whatever I can meet with people, create a, a, a resolution or a white paper or best practices for districts or something to help the church of the Nazarene 
create a, a system or framework for ordained ministers who are leaving um, under, uh, you know, um, positive or neutral circumstances to continue ministry in another denomination um, so that we will not continue to have ministers leave to, to frankly, like a sister denomination, the United Methodist Church, for example, um, but feel kicked out on their way out. Um, you know, there's there's no reason in, in my mind um, for a minister to transition in ministry from the Church of the Nazarene to another Wesleyan denomination and feel uh, like we uh, did that poorly or without dignity. Um, we should aim to help people transition out under the, the best of terms, you know, and, and maybe that even includes like post-transition care, like a um, six months out or one year out where we check back in. How you doing? You know, we love you. We miss you. We're confident that God is continuing God's good work in you and his faith and we'll be faithful to complete it. You know, um, I am kind of excited, maybe excited. It's not the right word. We'll go back to that intro <laughs> episode, but, um, I am looking forward to the next few months, you know, um, resolutions for general assembly are due in the, over the next few months. And I am continuing to set up zoom calls and phone calls and conversations and emails to try to get the ball rolling on some sort of physical evidence a resolution or something um that will help us do do better as a denomination have a framework um because when you look at the manual and i did comb through the manual this week preparing for this conversation but you know a lot of times you and i might listen to this story and be like oh, why would a district administration treat a pastor like this. But if you look through the manual for pastors that are leaving, it is the the wording there is not happy language. It is not positive, uplifting. Um, you you could go kind of by the book, quote unquote, as it is right now, and have a minister feel kicked out on their way to do ministry in another denomination. So in my mind, there is room and many of the interviewees said this, you know, we change the, the, the manual every four years for a reason. Like there is room there um, to help people transition um, well and with grace. And um, I feel, I honestly, it's never, it's not something I asked for. If you had asked me a year ago what a project like this might lead to, I would never have dreamed that I would say, I feel a call to help districts um, get better at releasing <laughs> ministers to do ministry in other denominations. Like, that, that, even as I say that, I love, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the truth is, the truth is at the end of the day, we as a denomination seem to be telling ministers, there is not room for you if you are XYZ. And let's say, for example, affirming of inclusion of the LGBT community into our uh, mission and ministry and communion and membership, whatever. 
Um, there's not room for you because you feel that way. There's not room for you because you drink alcohol and refuse to abstain or whatever. Um, but also if you attempt to leave, we will help you feel kicked out on your way out the door. Like that's not okay. Uh, You know, it, it can't be both. And it cannot be that there is not room, but also we will, make it extremely difficult for you to leave and we will we will make it so that you feel isolated and punished on your way out um that it it shouldn't be the case if if we're to say to ministers there's not really room for a person like you in ministry in the church of nazarene why don't you consider where else you might serve and we can bless you and commission you on your way there on your way um, to the next thing, you know, um, it, it, yeah, I just, the way that we're approaching it right now feels like there's both not room. And if you leave, we gotcha, you know, like, and it, it ought to be that if there isn't room and it feels like maybe there isn't at times, but if that's the case, if we're choosing to take this like hard line on a few, just a few, very few issues, then we ought to, you know, set up systems and ways for people to feel blessed and sent by God on their way out the door. Even in the phrase out the door sounds like the wrong phrase, but here I am using it. Sorry. The sent. We can just say sent. Yeah, sent. Yeah. And I I think part of my... Yes. Thank you. I I really, one of my like passions in doing this podcast, because I did reach out to denominational leadership before we started airing these episodes, just to say, Hey, I recorded these episodes in two weeks. They're going to start dropping in one week. They're going to start dropping. Like I just wanted to give you a heads up. And what I heard back, um, was this sense of like, okay, just, you know, be careful because, you're telling stories. You could really discourage people. You could discourage people from doing ministry. You could discourage ministers in their ministry. Um, and that's not my intent at all because there is ministry outside of the church. There is ministry outside of ministry. And I think this podcast reminded me of that. And I hope it will remind other people of that. Like, I hope someone out there somewhere is listening to this podcast and feels released from the church of the Nazarene because deep down they realized a long time ago it was not working. And, and at some point they came up against this wall that was like, I either leave ministry or I leave this denomination. And I want that person to know you don't have to leave ministry if you leave this denomination. There is the work of God outside of this denomination. We are not a cult. We do not believe that we are the only ones with truth. We believe that God is at work in other places and spaces. And we bless you and commission you and send you and see you and feel you and love you on your way to the next thing. And I want so badly for us to be a denomination with best practices that help every single ordained member of the clergy who leaves to continue ministry elsewhere to feel that way. 
we already have practices that do something similar with special assignment, so I don't see it being too much of an ask. Special assignment affords the chance for pastors to serve in other denominations with this denomination's blessing, so I don't see why a transition would be difficult. I, yeah, you would think so. I, the conversations that I had this week with administrators, um, it seems like maybe special assignment isn't for people serving in other denominations as much as it is for people serving in non-traditional roles outside of typical pastoral ministry. Um, so I don't know, maybe we need to broaden our definition of special assignment to explicitly include serving outside the church of the Nazarene and other denominations, or maybe we need something new altogether, something specific like a transitional assignment or experimental assignment or something that just say it's, you know, this is this like safe space, a soft landing, like let's figure this out together. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure polity wise where this is all headed, but you're right. It needs to be um, something specific and official like special assignment that would allow people to say, oh, here's the niche that I fit right now while we figure this out together. Well, I guess we'll see what you come up with, right? For the next time <laughs> assembly. Uh, well, hopefully um, someone smarter than me is listening to this podcast and sends me an email with the right answer because I'm not, I'm really not sure what it is. So, well, Britt, I to just want to thank you. I want to thank you regardless of if you write uh, a recommendation for General Assembly uh, or whatever you do next with this continued work. I don't know if you have any other final thoughts, but before I let you share, if there is anything else on your heart, I just wanted to say once again, I really appreciated that you were willing to do this. And this was a substantial and meaningful project. And I'm just grateful for all the stories and all the work that was put into it. But if you have any mm. final thoughts for our listeners before we go, the floor is yours. Oh, I'm, I'm grateful to you, Josiah, for the platform. I'm grateful to everyone who offered up their story. And, and honestly, I'm grateful to the the people who offered up their stories that I didn't end up using the people who received my request, but didn't feel like they could share their story yet. I'm grateful to all the people who have championed this project, even though it maybe put a target on their backs too. Um, I am blessed to be a part of a faith community that commissions me to do whatever it is I am called to do, even when that thing is difficult or controversial. Um, I have definitely come away from this project um, hoping for good to come out of it in spite of how um, difficult and heavy it has been at times. So um, yeah, I think I'm just full. I'm full. My heart is full of gratitude and um, I'm, I'm hoping even if it's some small sliver of change that we can implement in the coming years to make this process um, something beautiful to shepherd people's grief, to feel a slightly little less territorial about who we are as a denomination and what it might mean 
for our best and brightest to serve somewhere else. You know, it's there are fewer teams, I think, in this, you know, grand experiment than we than we think there are. I, I think maybe there's just one team and we're we're kind of all on it. Um and I I hope in the future we can continue to move towards um, the kind of ecumenism that I believe we are capable of instead of the kind of denominationalism we occasionally fall into. Um, and I have hope that we will slowly over time become a safer and safer space for that dialogue that um, people like you and I crave and I, I'm sure the generations beyond us will continue to hope for um, because we need it. We need to value difference of opinion and show our very polarized culture what it means to disagree Christianly, um, as my senior pastor likes to say. So thanks again for letting me invade your podcast space for a few months. Thank you. Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Britt Bullerjack. Our editor is Caden Barksdale. And original music was done by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. For more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.